This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me talking Michigan's 31-6 win over Bowling Green, in which the Wolverines moved to 3-0 on the season, finished non-conference play with a 96-16 scoring differential. Seeing that we are recording this on Monday, I, you know, Steve and I are both talking Probably going to shift to more of a big picture or medium picture episode. You know, we're not going to sit here and pour over this play or that play against a, a MAC team, but we are going to talk about some of the things we saw over the last three weeks. Maybe what surprised us, what impressed us, what we still probably need to see. I'll have a story over at the MichiganInsider.com, Michigan at twenty four seven Sports.com that kind of digs into to my thoughts. It's going to be looking at the things that we we learned about Michigan during non-conference play and the things we still want to learn. Some things the jury is still out on. So be sure to check out that along with all sorts of stories from the weekly press conferences, from the game, the recruiting side of things, all of those angles over at the michiganinsider.com, Michigan at 247sports.com. So Steve, looking at this Bowling Green game, I mean, it, it, it ended up being a pretty similar looking game to maybe a little less scoring than necessarily expected, uh, but it ended up being a pretty dominant game. Michigan got the reserves back, but I think, you know, a lot of people are talking about the J.J. McCarthy interceptions, and, and we'll get to that, but I think the one thing that isn't being discussed enough on the offensive side, I felt like Blake Corum looked like himself, and I felt like Michigan's run game was a little bit more effective. You know, we talked, we've talked in these other episodes doesn't need to they don't need to run for 300 yards against Bowling Green. In fact, that probably is a misuse of snaps if you're really trying to get both running backs 100 yards now when when you have such a long season and both of them have proven Blake Corum Donovan Edwards have proven that they can make big plays in big games. Uh, I felt like the run game got incrementally better. So Steve, did you see enough Saturday that you're you think that they they're ready to rock or are there, are there still some things? I mean, Donovan Edwards only had 50 yards, but he also doesn't have a ton of carries so far. You know, Blake Corm got over a hundred yards for the first time this season. I mean, we, I don't want to have the same discussion we had last week because I do think they got better. I sack adjusted. They averaged more than six yards per carry felt like the, both the yards before contact were better and after contact were better. You know, Blake Corum had that 54-yard run to kind of help boost those stats a little bit. Uh, felt like between the tackles, they were running the ball effectively. Where do you stand with this run game? And and I think that's, you know, we've seen the pass game have A-game level moments. Run game got closer to an A-level this past weekend. I mean, guess what, what have you seen? And what do you still need to see maybe against Rutgers to 
feel like this offense can click on all cylinders when there is, you know, a top 25, top 10 opponent on the other side of the ball? Uh, That's a good question. You know, I mean, I, I, I just like taking a step back and looking across the country, it's like these, these non-conference cupcake type games just really seem to kind of bring a lot of teams down a little bit closer to their competition than what like Texas and Wyoming were tied going into the fourth quarter on Saturday, uh, Texas, number three in the country, right behind Michigan. Uh, just most of these teams have struggled to, to a certain extent. I think for, for Michigan though, specifically, I guess the the way I look at it, I, I guess I kind of compare it to basketball a little bit where teams are getting, they're getting open shots. They're just not hitting them. You know, so we've heard Mike Hart talk, you know, Michigan being a block away. We've seen Jim Harbaugh mention them challenging Cornelius Johnson to to do a better job blocking on the outside, which they believe he did on Saturday. Uh, Just it does feel like they're, again, like maybe a block away or just a a, just a a decision away. So, you know, like J.J. McCarthy, the interception, I don't know if it was the first interception or the second one uh, where he had Roman Wilson was wide open and he threw it to Cornelius Johnson and said, who was very covered. Yeah. The second one. Yep. Right. It just feels like, I guess I'm just like, I'm not one who's down on the play calling at all. Uh, and guys are, guys are finding themselves open. It's just like, it's just some, some hiccups, you know, and it really, this game on Saturday specifically, it did. It just felt like it actually felt a lot of the game that Michigan played really, really well. It was just like I like, well, four plays, I guess, ish, where they just made major mistakes. Three of them by McCarthy, right? I mean, otherwise, it just felt like this. This was never another game where Michigan. It's not like it was ever in doubt or anything like that. So, yeah, Blake Corum looks fine. Edwards getting back on track. I, I want to plug uh, our colleague Sam Webb does the does the breakdowns every week offensively with with former Michigan offensive coordinator. Al Borges, former defensive coach for Michigan, Vance Bedford. Uh, I believe they did a good job. It was last week talking about how Donovan Edwards is, is a, a rhythm type guy in, in the running game. A guy who kind of needs sort of like a quarterback sometimes needs to get into a rhythm, give him a few easy passes early. I, I don't know if that means Michigan needs to maybe feature Edwards a little bit more earlier in the game to kind of get him going. I, I also, to be fair, and I did not... I don't remember exactly how Borges explained it. I think he talked about how they had to manage uh, when when they had Ronnie Brown and Cadillac Williams at at Auburn, uh, how you kind of manage the two guys, two really good running backs, but two different types. Obviously, Edwards and Corum, two different types of running backs. I don't really know. I guess I don't know how you how you get a running back into a rhythm, per se. I mean, do you run a certain type of play? Um, You know, but he's again, we know now that he was injured for fall camp. So didn't really get into the swing of things until right before the season started. And we also know there have been a couple plays where I think Michigan was one missed block away from springing him free for a big play. So nine carries, 50 yards, still not up to, you know, maybe what we expected going into the season. But again, I just, I still kind of wonder with these early season games that are never in doubt, how much tinkering is still going on. Um, You know, just that type of deal. So overall, I guess the jury's sort of still out, right? Because we don't know how much it's just been tinkering and just kind of 
working out the kinks or is it, or are there some situations where they are kind of having a little bit of a struggle or, or still kind of legitimately not quite on the same page about stuff. So uh, I, I, you know, with McCarthy, I don't think we'll expect to see a repeat performance like that, especially considering how well he played the two weeks before. Uh, right. You know, but otherwise, I mean, I think that it, it felt like the offensive line played better. I think, you know, didn't Ladarius Henderson got a shout out from Jim Harbaugh? I think we're probably going to yeah, see numbers. Right? Numbers favored him pretty well too, right? So we're probably going to see more of him. Which again, he's another guy we talked about. Didn't enroll till the summer. Sometimes it takes these guys, especially a new you know new player, new line, new unit, new players he's playing with. Takes it can take a guy a while. Even a guy who, like Henderson, who I believe was projected to be drafted before even deciding to transfer to Michigan. So you know, we'll probably see more of him. But again, overall, it's just it's hard to be really too concerned uh, when you consider how easily Michigan has won these three games. Quorum's rushing stats are almost identical to what they were through three games last year still after Saturday. So I feel like they're I feel like just just like almost anything, like I think they're just going to get better and better as the season goes on. I, I think so, too. You know, with with Donovan, it's a good point about the rhythm. Running, but you know, a guy who's going to get the ball three times in a row, you know, he has a lot of instincts when he's out on the field. I think the only thing that concerns me, and this is a stat I brought up in the summer and I think in the spring as well, is he got 526 of his yards last season. He had 991. 526 of them came on 12 breakaway runs, you know, 30 plus yards. Everyone talks about the 75 yard against Ohio State and then the, what was it, the 85 yarder, like on the very next drive. He had, so 12 of his carries, 526 of his 991 yards. So more than half. On all of his other carries last season, he averaged 3.2 yards per carry. Were there runs in between? Yes. But I think he's more of a boomer bust running back. He is someone that, that has the acceleration, the speed. You know, when he's, to the second level you're gonna have a really hard time stopping him from scoring a touchdown I I still think that there is growth to be had or growth to be found in his game in terms of I think in the summer I said you know he he has a home run play it's now you know how can he hit the singles and doubles when a defense is kind of stacked stacking the box or, or keying in on him or or you know kind of ready to stop the run so yeah I think that's that's the next step and I think you know you you bring up a good point dealing with injuries, the run game. I mean, they just haven't asked either guy to get a lot of carries. Cause I also do wonder, I'd have to really pour through some play by play data here, but like what percentage of Don, what's Donovan Edwards yards per carry in the first half for the second versus second half. Cause I felt like last season, cause he had what 10 rushing yards against Ohio state in the first half. You know, I think part of his strength is the durability. As, as I said, like he can almost sense when the defense is, tired or they're slipping and he's he's a very keen observer even in press conferences you know he just notices little things so i think that is you know i not beyond the box score i mean obviously the box score tells says what it says but i think that was something i was kind of watching this month out of donovan to see how he is at the six yard runs the eight yard runs you know the five yard runs the efficient run plays that aren't necessarily touchdowns much lower percentage of his runs were that kind of run than like a Blake Corum. I felt like Blake Corum and, and Hassan Haskins a couple years ago, that was, that was their strength is, is they were blocked for three yards, but they'd make it six. 
you know, they were blocked for four yards, but they'd make it eight. So, yeah, I think that that that's the only part that I'm going to be continuing to watch. I mean, he's going to get his plays. He's going to get his big runs. He doesn't have an explosive run yet this season. So that's part of why his numbers don't look as good uh, than, than maybe they did a season ago. So I think that that's the only part of the run game that I'm still jury's still out on. I, I think I've seen enough from Blake Corum. I, I feel like he can be everything he was last season. You know, the run game or the offensive line, I should say, similar to last year. You know, you probably want to see, I do think it would have been valuable for Michigan to have seen a little more effectiveness from its third, fourth, and fifth string running backs. You know, they, they come in in the fourth quarter of these games, and and that's been maybe the one hang-up that you and I would agree with the the, the fanic about, the, the fan panic, is the second-string offense just has not moved the ball like past Jim Harbaugh teams. You know, last season when they were winning by 50-plus, the first two and a half quarters looked very similar. The The reason why those scores were so much more lopsided is the second string, and I'd say 2016 offense was the same way. The second string was still producing. So shifting away from just the run game and kind of looking at the offense in general, through three games, what is the biggest surprise to you on offense, good or bad, either direction, that you've seen in non-conference play so far? I guess a huge, I mean, Roman Wilson could set some records this year, I feel like. I mean, he's putting up some touchdown numbers. I'd have to look at the record book, but how many does he have right now? Seven? He has six, six yeah. Six? Six or three I mean, games, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to imagine him keeping up that pace, obviously, but, you know, he's really sort of emerged. And to be fair, I mean, Cornelius Johnson had a great game on Saturday, too. I think they've been even a little bit better than I even thought they would be. I don't know if maybe that's a, maybe that's not the biggest surprise. I suppose I don't know. Um, I I because I, I guess on the flip side, I, I'm not super surprised that they have struggled as far as the backup quarterback situation. It feel it it feels like when Jack Tuttle's healthy, it's 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 almost got to be him at this point, right? I mean, it's just it just does they have nobody else that they've brought in has looked particularly enticing necessarily they have been a little bit banged up down the depth chart right I mean running back yeah I think Cole Cabana got in on Saturday for the first time but what none of yeah Benjamin Hall Tavier Dunlap are both right so going through in going through something as Jim Harbaugh likes to say yeah so interesting in that regard but again there's just a lot that we don't really know I, I I guess I'm maybe mildly surprised that we haven't seen more production from maybe not even when the second string quarterback is in necessarily but just a little bit further down the depth chart at certain positions guys that we talked about that might that we heard some decent stuff about that we thought might make an impact right like maybe even like a like a Marlon Klein who heard really good things about in fall camp Matt Hibner I know was banged up but also, I guess to be fair, we did say that we thought AJ Barner would be one of the most important players on Michigan's team, and I think he's had a very quiet beginning to the season. It feels like, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess little surprised getting to Saturday's game specifically. Only three players caught passes, and I, I was, and I, I was just gonna say, and it was your main, your main three guys. You know, I what did they? I mean, what did he complete to like nine or ten different guys the week before? Didn't they? I mean, you know. Fred Moore's been in there, Max Bredesen, Barner, obviously. So, 
interesting in that regard. But but overall, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing really that's surprised me too, too much. I, I, I guess seeing Henderson emerge on Saturday makes me, you know, like I said, kind of makes me wonder if it really was just a summer enrolling type thing. Because to me, it was a little bit of a surprise that we didn't see more of him early, given how highly regarded he was coming over from Arizona State. But again, that may have just been a getting acclimated type deal. So, you know, because I'm not another not surprised is that there has been some shifting up front already. We had kind of expected it and we were wondering if that would be the case because they're so deep, particularly at the tackle positions. There are four guys they felt like are starter caliber. And we've seen three of the four get what appears to be extensive opportunities, right? We haven't seen as much of Jones um, as we have of Hinton, now Henderson and Barnhart, obviously, but I don't know. I don't know if, like, I wonder if, you know, we say what the biggest surprise that people are expecting us to say, like, we're surprised they haven't scored 60 points a game or something like that. Like, that's not the answer you're going to get here. So no major, major surprises, but I do think, yeah, I mean, I think Roman Wilson has, in particular, has been even better than what we thought he would be. Uh, Again, another guy who quietly has always sort of had little bumps and bruises and stuff throughout his career has never really been a total... 100% 100% guy, and I think we're seeing what he's capable of at 100%. He should add two touchdown catches again on Saturday. I mean, he was wide open on that one interception. Yeah. Like, yeah. wide open. So, <laughs> you know, he's he's playing at a high level right now. He is. And and, and Cornelius is, too. Uh, you know, in pro football focus, you can take their grades for what they are. I mean, they're one analytics site's opinion. But of the, you know, 50 or so pass catchers who been targeted 10 or more times in, in the Big Ten, they are number one and number two in receiving grade. You know, they're both top five in receiving yards. Your Roman Wilson, six touchdowns. That obviously leads the, the Big Ten in terms of receiving touchdowns. So I think the fact that they've been really consistent, because both players have had big games. Cornelius Johnson does not get bigger than the performance he had against Ohio State. And Roman Wilson, I felt like, had a really good game against TCU. I mean, he was a video replay controversial review away from three touchdowns in that game. And he had over 120 all purpose yards, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, we've seen them have big games, but for them to thread together, three really impressive games. A lot of people are talking about JJ McCarthy, rightfully so, but how open are those two getting? I mean, it's, it's, it's really, that has to be really encouraging for Michigan to see. I did have a story about it last week, just, how open they are, how consistently they are, you know, they're catching passes that in the past they might've dropped. Neither of them have a drop pass this year. They're both doing well in contested catches. So, you know, you're seeing before the season, we said, well, will anyone step up to be the game to game pass catcher in place of Ronnie Bell? And so far two players have answered the bell. Yeah. So that's been the pleasant surprise. You know, I, I do think I expected the offensive line. I know I said before the season, that there was going to need to be time to develop that chemistry, develop that rapport. But maybe maybe I was reading too much into the, the the depth and the iron sharpening iron talk that they had in fall camp. I kind of expected them to dominate a little bit more. You know, I expected mistakes here and there, but little surprised they haven't been a little bit more forceful, especially in the run game, knowing what Drake Nugent can do, knowing what Zach Zinter, Trevor Keegan can do. You know, even if there is some shuffling at tackle, these are guys who are experienced, who are who have the size, have the experience, have the uh, physicality. You know, they can be effective run blocking tackles. So I'm a little surprised 
at not not so much the the box score stats, but you just haven't seen them pave these giant holes. And I I don't know if it needs to be, you know, I don't know if they need to do more power. I don't know. That's that's for an offensive coordinator to decide who gets to see practice and everything. But that's been maybe the one spot where I'm like, huh, a little surprised we haven't seen more there. All right, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll talk about the defense where things have been much more dominant. Well, among the topics that we'll discuss, is this Michigan's best defensive front under Jim Harbaugh? And then another question, is this the nation's best defense right now? And if not, what needs to change to get the Wolverines to that point? You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. So, Steve, we don't take this conversation lightly. I mean, we were doing podcasts and coverage for 2016, 2018, 2021, 2022. But, man, oh, man, especially in run defense, I am just very impressed with this defensive front. I feel like Chris Jenkins has been as advertised. Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant have been as advertised. Had a column last week about how I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm looking at a defensive front Speaking specifically to the interior linemen, uh, I feel like I'm looking at three future top 50 first round NFL draft picks. I feel like I'm looking at at least two players who could make a run as all Americans before they leave Michigan. Uh, And I feel like I'm looking at a defensive front that compares to when Alabama was winning national titles, when Georgia won its last two Clemson, when they won in 2016, 2018, those teams just, it seemed like they had, impossibly good defensive fronts you know guys who were 320 pounds and were faster or just or could chase down a running back I mean it it just it a lot of people talk about the quarterback and I, I get it but it did feel like every national championship team since Jim Harbaugh arrived at Michigan has had like some crazy good defensive interior players I feel like Michigan has that and I think I think the the edge guys and the linebackers and and i been impressed by the safeties with their run fills too. I feel like this is the best run defense in the country. You know, the stats, the, the stats for that are always kind of dependent on how good of rushing attacks you face, but very impressed with the run defense. You know, the pass rush, I, I don't know that it's been there quite as consistently, but I do feel like the pressure rate is there. So the sacks might not be there, but it does feel like the pressures are there. Steve, you've covered the 2016, 2018 2017 defensive front was pretty good too with Mo Hurst as well as, you know, Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary. I mean, it's been a lot of NFL draft picks, a lot of great defensive fronts. It's early, but a lot of these players also did play last season. So where, where from what you've seen, does this defensive front rank among the ones under Jim Harbaugh that Michigan has been able to roll out? They're on track, I think, to maybe be the best I think the, the one th- I guess I always go back to 16 though and think about how they had how many tackles for a loss against Ohio State like 18 or some outrageous amount of tackles for a loss uh I know not all caused but are all from their front but the front really drew a lot of attention I want to say all those guys played in the pros at one point or another I I, I think interior wise though this is probably going to end up being the best that they've had under Harbaugh for sure. Deepest, you know, Cam Good had a sack on Saturday. He made a few good plays. Rayshon Benny, if he becomes, if he can be a little bit more consistent, 
you know, uh, another guy that I feel like they are going to be able to rely on. But the top three, hard to imagine there's a better one, two, three punch uh, in the middle of any defensive front in the country right now. And, uh, you know, yeah, opponent opponents haven't been great so far. But, I mean, yeah, these guys have been as advertised. You know, Kenneth Grant does a lot of things that you can't teach and does a lot of things that not many interior offensive linemen are going to be able to slow down over the course, fully slow down over the course of a four quarter game. He feels like one of those guys that is just going to be able to make one, at least one or two big impact plays throughout any four quarter game. Uh, I mean, I don't know, was it the season opener? You know, his pressure caused, I think, Michigan's first interception of the season. You know, just not even having to get a, get a sack or a tackle, but even just creating havoc on the inside. It's just I don't the difference for me might be on the edge as far as like the entire defensive front that that's the only thing. Uh, yeah, I think that's from, fair. Right, the, 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 I think the interior is is I think is the best probably. I, I think there have been other edge groups that have been more effective. That's not to say this edge group hasn't been really good so far as well, but I mean you got to think about some of the guys that Michigan's put out in the last. I mean, geez, I want to say like in a five minute. Stretch yesterday, I think Gary had a sack. I think Quiddy Pay forced a or sacked and forced a fumble on C.J. Stroud, and then I I don't know like there was somebody else in there that had uh, another play as well. I mean, Michigan's got so many edge guys in the pros at this point, but um, you know, so I don't know. It's just it depends on what you value more. I mean, I do I do agree. I I think that there's a much more of a correlation between having between having an elite interior and winning national championships. You talk about Georgia, you talk about Bama, obviously. Those are schools that are taking, feels like one or two guys every cycle that are like 315, 320 pounds, right? I mean, and I know Michigan's looking for one in this class, in the 24 class right now. You know, I think, yeah, I do think there's more of a, historically more of a correlation, but who's still standing at the end usually has a at least one solid guy in the middle, but, but, Usually, more often than not, the bigger thing is ha- having multiple guys that can make plays in the middle, not just having one star, right? It's that depth. It's beating up the uh, offensive line over four quarters. The same way Michigan likes to instill their will up front offensively with their offensive line, you know, it's it, obviously it can go the other way. And Michigan has a, a a trio up front that can really can really do that, you know. And Grant's emergence has just been huge where they don't have to fully rely on Graham and Jenkins all the time. You know, and Ben, like I said, and Benny and Cam Good. You know, we're still wondering who that's. We talked, remember, I think the depth chart or the defensive line breakdown we did before the season, we, the biggest question was who would be that sixth? We're trying to figure out who their sixth guy is. I mean, I, um, could it be Trey Pierce still? You know, I know Mike Elson had a lot of really good things to say about him as a true freshman, but either way, Michigan's deep and super, super talented up front in the middle. Uh, but, but overall, to to end this really long-winded point. I I still think I'd take 16 from top to bottom, but interior-wise, I would definitely take this year's. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the edge is kind of the difference. Boy, that 2016 defense, now not all of this was the guys up front, but they had 120 tackles for loss in 13 games. Just for context, Michigan had 73 in 14 games last year and 71 in 14 games in 2021. So I mean, you're talking about a defense that, that averaged just under 10 tackles for loss per game. So, so I think, you know, the difference is the edge guys, 
you know, the interior, I think what's really nice for those curious about like the why the interior defense is so correlated to, to championship success is one, because I think you can find like, if you have the right strength and conditioning or you can recruit well enough or identify talent well enough, you, you can, those guys can be matchup nightmares. I mean, there's just no defending a 320 pounder who runs a five Oh, and, you know, can bench press 225 pounds 30 times. Like, there's no offensive lineman who can one-on-one that on a regular basis. Uh, but then, two, you don't have to stock, stack the box to stop the run. You know, you can just do standard run fills. You don't have to rush two linebackers to get some pressure on a third and long. You know, your guys up the middle can move that pocket or condense that pocket. So I, I do think that that's the why, I suppose. I I'm kind of with you. I think I think the guys up the middle, Grant, Jenkins, Graham, probably number one. The edge guys, I think you're still, you know, Jalen Jalen Harrell, I thought, had a nice statement game on Saturday. It might have gotten overlooked, you know, because everyone was so worried of course about the half, it, Of course it did. It's Jalen Harrell. He always gets overlooked. <laughs> <laughs> it's like his MO. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did say he was probably the most underrated defensive player before the season began, so... Yeah, I think he's someone that that if he can string this together for a couple more games, you know, then you start and he starts getting on higher up in the draft boards. Because I think they have a lot of guys who could get drafted at the edge. I don't know if they have a true like top 50, top couple rounds kind of guy just yet. But but maybe I think the talent is there for one or two such players to emerge. So, yeah, that's that's probably the next thing. Can I can Go I just ahead. say one thing? I just went back and looked at a 2006. I, I mean, I don't know, man. That 16 team was loaded up front. Yeah. You're talking. You got Glasgow, you got Charlton, Wormley, Brian Monet was on that team. Ryan Glasgow, Matt Godin, Rashawn Gary, Mo Hurst, Chase Winovich. I mean, that's all. All, all of even Godin got a cup of coffee in the pros. Glasgow is in the pros. Brian Monet is still in the pros. I believe Chris is a free agent right now. I do not believe he has a team and has a home. I'm not sure about Taco either, but obviously Rashawn Gary. Uh, but either, I mean, if you consider Wormley an inside guy, I mean, you're talking Wormley, Monet, Glasgow, Godin, and Mohurst. I mean, that might actually be better than what if you go one to five. So I don't know. It's interesting. It, it, t- I tell I'm you standing by my, I'm, I think, sure, I think sure. Jenkins, that's fair. That's fair. I, I do think you're right. The, the, the sheer depth and you saw it all the time. I mean, wasn't there a play of like Ryan Glasgow, like chasing down a running back. And then the very next play, Chris Wormley comes in with a sack. Like it's, it, it, there was a little bit of like a man, they just, they never stop. I think in my mind, I think Jenkins and Graham, could legitimately be all Americans. And I think, yes, sure. I think Jenkins and Grant could be first round draft picks. Graham, I don't know the testing numbers for him, right? Michigan kind of reveals the testing numbers for Jenkins and, and Grant. I don't know how NFL scouts view Graham. I feel like he can be an all American. So I, it's, it's a fun debate. I do think 2016 wins because they had tackle Charlton, Chris Wormley as, as veterans too, right? Like it's one thing if it's, a future all Americans. Another thing, if it's a guy who is playing at an all Big Ten level that year, so sure, that's fair. I just, I just looking at that sixteen, but I was like, 
I just forgot how many well, good, and the numbers good are just football insane. players were on that. I know that's what I'm looking at the box score against Ohio State. They had eight sacks in that game, and that's on Barrett, you know, a guy who could get out of the pocket. And they still had eight sacks as a team in that game. It was insane. So, they had they had seven players that season get at least nine tackles for loss. Unreal. Yeah, that's man, hard to believe. Anyway, but yeah, I just I I, I went back to look because I want to make sure I wasn't forgetting of anybody on that 16 team. And I'm like, yeah, because like I said, even Matt Godin got, I believe he either got drafted or was an un, un uh undrafted free agent or whatever. But man, I mean, just that that team had a lot of really good players on it for sure. Yeah. Getting back to this year's team, I, I did like that you mentioned Cam Good and Rayshon Benny. I felt like they had, you know, they're not going to get the publicity that the the top three guys are going to get, but I felt like they had some pretty nice plays against Bowling Green. And that's that's what you want to see in a game like that is, is you know, you kind of know what Jenkins can do, what Mason Graham can do. You, you kind of want to see the next group, the, the second I hate to say second string because they're going to rotate in and they're going to play meaningful snaps all season. But yeah, if you're Michigan, you want to see those kind of players step up and, and make some wild plays. And I feel like, feel like they did. All right. Expanding to the whole defense. We, you know, I, I don't know if you watched the Georgia game. I didn't watch all of it. I watched the first half and then I had to get to the stadium, but does Michigan have a case as the number one defense in the country? They haven't played anybody so you know this is admittedly a very early conversation but I feel like they've done a really nice job in all phases of the defense and that's without two of I would argue their what what we ranked them this summer two of their five most important defensive players in Will Johnson and Rod Moore you know Makari Page has been in and out as well he's a starter he he's pretty important as well so it almost feels like they've, I mean, they've been the best defense statistically in the country so far with two starters out. So Steve, I, we're going to see them. They're going to have moments where they struggle and, and we will see that at some point in the next few weeks with big 10 play starting and we'll see other defenses emerge. But what do you want to see from this defense in the next couple weeks that, that could have you maybe comfortably making the case for Michigan as the, num- the number one defense in the country right now? I think it's the same question that we sort of discussed heading into the season. I think depth at, at cornerback, right? Front seven seems pretty solidified at this point. We just talked about how deep they are in the middle. They're still deep at edge too. Uh, you know, I didn't want to downplay it. We're comparing them to the 16 squad. I mean, we talked about how great that, that unit was. Like Michigan still has good, really good play at both edge positions, like for sure. But yeah, I mean, number one defense in the country statistically. And that, I mean, I'm to be fair, I almost think you kind of undersold Johnson and Moore as far like they're probably two of the, you're talking about a, a preseason all American at corner. And a, I did like, say two of the top five, most important I mean, players. Well, Rod Moore was a preseason, what first team, all big 10 as well. Somewhere. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you're talking two. First I said team he would be a top defenders. five safety in the draft. Right. Okay. So well, there you go. So back, back when we did our safety preview, there you go. So like you're talking about two hugely important players. So, you know, and I think, I think if you're Michigan, I think this has probably been a big, in a way, I guess this is one of those things you always look at as like sort of a blessing in disguise provided these guys provided both players are, will be back. And like when they're, when they're able to play, will be fully ready. 
you know, in that you've been able to kind of check, you know, it's look at Keon Sab has emerged as a guy, right? I mean, that that's, that's been, you know, he's gotten some very, very important playing time uh, for Michigan in the first three games of the season. Now you feel like Michigan and, and with Quinton Johnson getting a game ball and Saturday has the interception. And I believe he had the big play on special teams that Jim Harbaugh said he got a game ball. I mean, you've, you now you have four, you feel like you have four reliable players at the safety position once once Rod Moore is all the way back. Uh, but I still think it is that depth on the outside that I think is going to be, you know, could still end up being pivotal for Michigan. And I guess, you know, you, you do kind of look at the schedule and it really, despite whatever may happen this Saturday, I still it still comes down to Ohio State, right? I mean, Michigan State's completely imploding. If they lose to Penn State, I don't think it'll be because of Penn State's depth at the wide receiver position. I, I don't think they have what Keandre Lambert, and then they have a transfer. I, they're not like particularly explosive or deep at the receiver spot. I just, you know, Ohio State we know has tons of guys at receiver they can throw at you. So, you know, the more solid play they can get out of guys that won't be named Mike Sainer still and, and Will Johnson in October and November, I think will still be the biggest thing that will, because I'm just three linebackers. I feel like they are, I feel very comfortable with it. It seems like Houseman has really worked himself into it and being a guy that Michigan trusts. So, you know, you talk at, you talk up front, you talk your linebacker position and safety all feel like you have not just like guys, but like multiple guys that they can rotate in and out or, or, you know, maybe give a breather to or whatever corner still kind of that spot where you've seen them give some extended sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, an extended audition for guys like DJ Waller and Jair Hill. You know, do not think we'd be seeing them as much as we have unless Michigan, A, thought they were capable, but B, you know, if Michigan felt good about their depth there, I don't know if we, they'd be playing two of their true freshmen in all four or in all three non-conference games. So feels like that's the the missing link still but again there are, there are a lot of guys a lot of bodies a lot of guys that are capable it seems like too so there and there still is time because again the, I guess the the flip side is there aren't a ton of like explosive passing offenses on Michigan's schedule this season but it's very gonna... backloaded too yeah like, that too even yes. even among the teams Michigan's expected to handle comfortably Purdue and Maryland historically have pretty good passing attacks, but they're, they're also in November. It does feel like you're going to, you know, there'll be challenges. I'm not saying it's, it's a cakewalk, but no, not at all. It does it, feel like they have another month arguably yes. to like kind of yep. sort this out. I agree. And so I, I guess, is that a bad news thing that they, I don't, I don't know if it means much that they haven't totally answered that yet. I think the, I, I guess the other thing I'd say though is, and, and I'm, and this is a, a, in the positive is, Mike Sainer still is really damn good, man. Like, so to me, they have two really good cornerbacks already. Like, yeah, he's, you, they've, right. Yeah. They've shown that they can play him anywhere. He is not like a gadget type player, you know, like they, they could throw him out there against anybody and he's going to play at a high level. But there, you know, but you, it is that one spot where I think the old adage is that that's definitely one position you can never have too many good players at. So, I think if you're Michigan, if you want to eventually accomplish the goals you've set forward for yourself heading into a, a, what's a really big year, I think you want to see more further down your depth chart than what maybe they've seen so far. Yeah, I think that's it's all good. Here, I came up with three things. Uh, I, I'll, you covered all of them, I believe. But 
I think the first thing I want to see is I want to see Josh Wallace and Keyshawn Harris against Big Ten passing attacks and Big Ten wide receivers. I Wallace especially, I feel like I've been pretty impressed. I haven't really – I think he's only given up like eight passing yards in three games or something like that. I'll, I'll pull up that stat in a moment. But he has played a lot of group of five competition. That was never the concern. The concern is that he hasn't really faced a ton of – Big Ten competition or, or Power Five competition, so I think that will be something I know I'll be watching against Rutgers. Is is how do both players, you know, Keyshawn Harris, a uh, fun story. I mean, fifth year guy, former walk on, kind of was track first in high school, found his way to the football field and has has worked really hard to get himself into a position of, as a starter. And, and so neither have really faced like the the Big Ten competition yet. So that's that's number one. Number two, I want to see how Jair Hill and DJ Waller continue to develop in the next month. Because I think both of them have the ability, not a prediction, they have the ability to pull a Will Johnson or Rod Moore, where by the time November is coming around, they are knocking on the door of that starting lineup. They are making big plays, and they have earned the coach's trust. You know, Steve Klingscale throws a lot at his players. He asks a lot of his players in that secondary. Some players though, you know, the ones that are on the all American list preseason, they answer the call. They answer the bell. They, they get better throughout the course of their freshman year to the point where they're helping Michigan. I think that could really be a nice supplement or compliment to what the rest of Michigan secondary can do. Cause I'm with you. I think same still will Johnson, Rod Moore, that might be as good of a headlining trio in the secondary is anyone outside of Athens, Georgia has right now. I'd have to do some more research, but it, it does feel like all three are very good. They're very high in draft boards. They're very high on all conference lists. And statistically they proved a lot last season. So yeah, how do the, how do those two freshmen develop? And then number three, we kind of talked about it a little bit. Does a, I want to see a top 50 draft pick, emerge out of that edge position i feel like Braden mcgregor's had a pretty nice season i feel like jalen harrell's had actually a a great season can but i think if they can do it a couple more times against big 10 opponents that's when you'll start to see okay you know these are guys who who can really help you against ohio state against penn state because right now michigan has a pretty good pressure rate i think they've faced uh like 81 passing snaps and they have 47 pressures so can't totally argue with that. I mean, I, you know, it's pretty comparable to what they've had the past couple seasons. But no one on the team individually has more than six so far. Harrell and actually Kenneth Grant both have six. So can someone emerge as kind of the Mike Morris or, I mean, obviously the, the ceiling of this is like an Aiden Hutchinson. But, you know, is there someone who can, now that they have a few starts or a few extra snaps under the belt, is there someone else who can really emerge? So those are the three things separating me from from boldly declaring this is the best defense in the country. Obviously, the big caveat is they also have to look this good against teams with a pulse. I mean, no one no one is winning awards for shutting down UNLV, Bowling Green, and East Carolina. You know, it's it's about what you do in Big 10 play. All right, Steve, anything else? This is kind of our our medium picture podcast looking at where mi- things stand for Michigan through three non-conference games, kind of an interesting three games, even though they all had very similar scores, you know, different head coaches, 
different players stepping up in different games. And, and I mean, I don't know. I, I think it was interesting. The press conferences at, you know, the wake of this Bowling Green game, because it almost seemed like Michigan was like, they are emotionally and mentally done with these like tune up games. They need to play someone with a pulse. I think that uh, was an impression I got. Anything else jump out to you that hasn't been said about Michigan's non-conference play? I've just kind of echoed that. I mean, it's been kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> for us too, honestly, like, yeah, it, it's just hard. You know, it's like, and I get, I even, you know, you kind of feel for the fan. I mean, you have the fans that live like play by play, you know, like the, the whole outcome of the season is dictated each, each bad play is the end of the world or each great play is like, and it's just, um, there's really not much else you can do at this, at that point in the season. Cause there's just, you know, like I said, that's why it's like, it's so hard to, to glean a ton off of these early games like this. Like I said, you see teams across the country, just everyone, a lot of teams just kind of plodding along. I mean, I think there was talk, you know, I know Georgia played South Carolina last on Saturday, but, but, you know, until then they had really been struggling to run the football. And I believe they were down at halftime. I want to say at home to South Carolina, uh, argue the top three teams in the country, like played a pretty pedestrian game last week. You know, and so I it did I, feel like, yeah, that kind of weekend, right? Just going to be one of those weird. I, I've we called it. We talked a little bit about it in the season preview thing, like how this just kind of feels like it, it, there's the the possibility for kind of a weird year in college football. Um, to to what? Any more thoughts on that? Yeah, it's just like it, it's. I'm ready for conference season. I can only imagine how ready the players are. You know, for conference season, two time. Defending champs, I'm there. Obviously, chomping at the bit to three peat. I, I think they, there's got to be a, a, yeah, just a a readiness to to see some better and more legitimate competition, right? So, so that'll be interesting to see how Michigan comes out on Saturday. Other thing, real quick, not even Michigan related. What a freaking slate of games on Saturday. I mean, have you seen? There's like five or yeah, six. Yeah, we're gonna find matchups. out who's who's. Yeah. 3-0 and o is more impressive. <laughs> so do you have, like. so do you have like, cause I think our listeners would probably be, who do you have Notre Dame or Ohio state on Saturday? You know, I was ready to pick Notre Dame who has I, looked really good. They've, I, they've been one of the teams that has looked actually pretty solid their first three. Yeah. Weeks Hart, sure. Hartman looks like a great addition. And, and I think their defense and O-line kind of like Michigan. They're never. Sure. Gonna, it's in South Bend, isn't it? It is. It is. Oh I, yeah. I think I think Ohio State might have figured some things out. Okay, you're still game. I don't it, it's it's always hard to pick against Ohio State regard yeah. like regardless, you know, even though yeah, you argue Notre Dame's look like the better team through 3 weeks and they've played like NC State's far better than any team that Ohio State has played so far. So that's going to be a fascinating game. I I you know, I to post on the board that I think Michigan fans actually should be rooting for Ohio State, honestly. Uh they recruit directly much more against Notre Dame, and it doesn't hurt to have a, a an Ohio State team with a better resume. I was going to say, if you think Michigan November. will beat Ohio State in Ann Arbor, you want Ohio State to be undefeated. Right, right. Well, you know, there's like that a... there's that whole you can't ever cheer for Ohio State because you're a Michigan no, fan type I, thing. But I, I, do I, there, I think most logic should have you actually wanting them to win on Saturday. Yeah, because of that. I mean, uh, a Marcus Freeman – led Notre Dame in the playoff hunt would be about as worst case scenario for Michigan and recruiting wise. Like they really are Michigan's primary recruiting rival. I feel like, I don't know if there's another program they recruit directly one-on-one more with 
than Notre Dame. They, it has been a little bit more with Ohio State the last couple cycles, but yeah, I don't know who's going to win that game. I think Ohio State is favored though, aren't they? Like, didn't they? Aren't they open as like three and a half point favorites? I was a little bit surprised to see that, but anyway, and no, their ranks a little higher. Yeah, yeah, but that's no. It, it, so Saturday is when it kind of really feels like college football season just begins. Period. I mean, again, Rutgers not like a primetime big big name game for Michigan, but it is their obviously their biggest test, and then it's just a slate full of huge, huge games on Saturday. So probably the most exciting day of the season so far for, for Michigan fans and college football fans, period. So, uh, you know, should be, it'll be, yeah, be nice to get into like some, some actual, you know, it's again, we never, we knew Michigan would win all three of these games. It ended up got kind of being how it seems like Michigan is where it's like, it's, it's easy, but yeah, they can what never make it too easy. Like they of Harbaugh's still... games look exactly like that, where it's like thirty something to like under ten. Yep, and, and it's just like kind of a slow moving game. <laughs> and it was never in doubt. Yeah, it, but but there but there are like there are things that you can look at and say, hmm, well, what about that? You know, like it's it's it is. It's I feel like that there have been a lot of games like that, particularly early in the season every year. So, you know, Saturday. Rutgers gave Michigan one of their better games last year, did they not? I believe that was the one yeah, game I yeah. missed. Yeah, talk about that a little bit more in the Michigan Rutgers preview yeah. episode. But yeah, they they know how to stop the run or Michigan's run game. You know, Greg Schiano feels like he has a pretty good defensive mind. I would say you know they, their defense has been good. And twenty twenty one, it was a one possession game at in Ann Arbor, and then twenty twenty two, Michigan was trailing at halftime. And they, they right. ended up pulling away with, like, I think there was like a pick six. I think there was, you know, Michigan ended up pulling away and the score looked more lopsided. But yeah, Rutgers, they, I'll, I'll put it like this and we'll, we'll discuss it a little bit more in a couple days. But the difference between the first three games and this game is if Michigan does something impressive in this game, it counts. You know, I think you and I have both struggled Ooh. with this, yes. with our stories where we're like, wow, JJ McCarthy set this record. But it was against UNLV. Yes. But it was against ECU. We're like, oh wow, this defense looks amazing. You know, five sacks in the first half. But it was UNLV. Yeah, we used to do the but 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 Rutgers. That used to be a yeah a thing that we actually did in this podcast. I think they're to the point though. Like if Michigan, if whether it's the passing attack, run game, defense, whatever, if it looks impressive against Rutgers, that's going to carry a lot more weight. So I know, I think you and I are on the same page. I mean, just covering the team it's a little bit easier when Michigan's facing conference opponents or power five opponents, because you can just cover things as is. You don't have to like be doing all these caveats or bending over backwards to like, see, okay, if they did it against this team, what does that mean against whatever team? You know, this is a little bit more, the game will be at face value. Uh, You know, the keys to victory will not be keys to a successful weekend. It will actually be keys to victory. So yeah, it's, it's uh, it's here. Non-conference play, done and dusted. Michigan 3-0 is expected, plus 80 scoring differential. Didn't score as many points as maybe a lot of people expected, but they also were in control of all three games. Backups got in for the fourth quarter of all three games. Michigan was very much in control. Could have won those games by more if they wanted to. So now we'll see what they've got against Big Ten opponents. It's time time to play some Big Ten football. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Lots of stories over at the MichiganInsider.com. And we will see you for the Rutgers preview episode.